Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love and your mercy, which is renewed every morning with the rising of the sun. God, we thank you for the blessing of being in fellowship together with one another. We thank you for your love that never fails, even in the storms. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Just like I asked last week, I want to ask, did anybody read the whole chapter this week? Yeah, seeing a few hands this morning. I know that uh, we had the whole chapter in there, and we're looking at a snippet of that chapter, right? At the end of the chapter. Well, the whole chapter, just a little bit of context, Jesus is given all kinds of great lessons in parables. There's so many people there that he's actually got to teach from a boat because there's not enough room for everybody to see him and hear him lining up around him at the shore. So he steps into the boat, and he's teaching from the boat. And once he's done with his lessons... He's like, hey guys, let's get out of here. So him and his disciples all load up into uh, a little boat and they start to boogie across the sea. And here's what happens. Here's what happened. There we go. All right. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's powerful. Think about the fact that we serve a master, a lord, to whom even the winds and the waves must obey him. May God add his blessing as we continue in worship. How are we doing today? Tired? Good? Hearing a few different answers, but that's that's good. I'm glad you guys are being honest, you know? It's so easy to walk around and be like, oh yeah, I'm doing great, and your life's falling apart, you're holding back tears almost, but you tell everybody you're doing great, and you just pretend that everything's fine. I suppose, yeah, things are greatly terrible. I'm doing great, right? <laughs> so I'm glad that you guys are willing to at least be honest in front of everybody and sometimes say you're tired or that you know, you're a little worn out. Speaking of being tired, we're talking about resting today. I think it's pretty cool that Jesus was just chilling and taking a nap during this story. I've got to be honest. I think that's pretty impressive. How many people are, are what you would qual- call or qualify as a car baby? Somebody who sleeps really well in the car. Anybody here? I'm seeing a few hands. 
I remember, I think it was, I think it was Kamea in particular, but I know for, yeah, one of my sisters absolutely loved sleeping in the car. And, you know, the doctors tell you not to make a habit out of it and whatnot, but there were a couple of occasions where she would get so upset where my parents would put her in the, we called them a bucket, but the little, like, carrier with the handle, and it's like a, well, it's kind of like a bucket, and you put the kid in, and there's like a four or five part harness, like they're, you know, racing in NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, it's a car seat, but it's like a, it's like a portable car seat that you could put in a stroller, and it's like a modular little system. Yeah, well, it is still a car seat, yeah, but, yeah. Car seat with a handle. Well, we called it a baby bucket at our house because it's like a little bucket that you put your baby in. Anyway, <laughs> we'd strap her in with her little, you know, NASCAR get up and take her in the car. And after, you know, a couple of minutes, she'd stop screaming and she'd be out cold, man. Else yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Jesus obviously was not a screaming baby, but he was ready for a nap. And I've got to be honest, looking at his, at, at his sermon there, I can understand why after giving a sermon like that, he would need a good nap. Sunday afternoons, after I've done two services and taught a Sunday school class, I'm usually pretty whooped. I'm usually about ready to hop on the far right-hand side of the couch reach down to that little black lever on the side, pop my feet up, and put on a car podcast and fall asleep for, you know, 45 minutes or so. That is how I like to spend my Sunday afternoons, partially because I don't have a TV antenna, so I don't tune into golf like Dan does. Now you have to do homework. Oh, man. That reminds me, I forgot to dismiss you guys. So if you don't want to stay for the sermon, the kids can go. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Oh, man. Now I got to, like, get my brain recalibrated here. Yeah, sleeping on Sunday afternoon. I'm sleeping right now, I guess. It's good to find rest, especially after a long, hard day, right? And Jesus was able to rest in the storm. A crazy storm at that. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more soon. Um, but it actually reminds me of a story I heard over and over and over again uh, at summer camp. See, the way that we do it at WLD Ranch, which is a little bit different from Judson, for those of you uh, Camp Judsonites, right? On Thursday night, they do a big campfire and they do several songs. And then... The, he's not the director anymore, but for years and years, he was the director of the summer camp. Um, now he's their maintenance something or other. He's retired from being the director, but he still has all kinds of responsibilities. And even though he's old enough to like retire, retire, he's too stubborn and likes working too hard. I'm sure you don't know anybody like that around here. 
um, to actually retire. So he's their maintenance guy now. Um, and he is great at telling stories. And so he'll get up in front of the campfire, and he always tells an allegorical story. And he's got a, he's got a small litany of them, but one of them is about this farmer. And it's about harvest time, and he's got some things to do. He's got some various things to take care of. You know, the tractor needs fixing, the paint needs, or the, the paint needs refenced. The fence needs repainted. And there's just, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and there's only so much of him. So he puts out a help wanted sign, and he gets this guy who pulls up and says, hey, saw your sign out front. I'm interested in helping. So the farmer says, well, what are you good at? The man pauses for a moment, and he thinks, and he says, I can sleep through a storm. And that puzzled the farmer. It, that's, you know, that's not the kind of answer you usually give at a job interview, that you're good at taking naps, right? So he was a little bit puzzled, and he kind of dismissed the guy and said, you know, oh, well, I'll call you, don't call me, um, and sent him off. Well, a few days went by, the sign was still up, and the guy came back. And the farmer was like, well, I mean, nobody else has taken the job. I'll give you, I'll give you a chance, but I got to let you know, you make one mistake and you're gone. This is going to be a day-by-day -day basis, the condition of this job here. So he lets him on, and this farmhand is astounding. Anything he turns his hand at, he's great. The tractor is fixed. The fence has never looked better. He's good with the animals. He does a great job. And he's there for a month, two months. Things are going well, really well. Well, harvest time comes around, and as the farmer's getting ready for bed, he hears thunder in the distance. And he thinks to himself about all of the things that they had going on and how the tractor was out in the one field and how it was just going to get muddy as all get out and be a huge mess. So he straps on his boots and he heads out as it starts to pour. It is a torrential downpour. Like, can't see your hand in front of your face and it's dark even though it's 5.30 at night kind of downpour. And he goes over to the little farmhouse that the ranch hand stays at. And he's pounding on the door. There's no response. Pounding on the door. It's like nobody's there. Well, he goes out to check on all of the animals, make sure that they're back in the barn, the tractor. Everything's put away. Everything's locked up. None of the horses are out of the stable. All of the cows have been brought in. None of the tractor or farm equipment is out in the torrential rain. It was all put away. So the farmer comes back in. And by this time, it's closer to 7, 8 o'clock at night. And he's soaking wet, drenched to the bone. And he realized what his ranch hand had meant when he said, I can sleep through a storm. He was prepared. He knew what was coming, and he took care of it before it became a problem. So when Malcolm tells this story, one, he tells it a little bit better than I do, and two, 
He then ties it in and talks about how we can find in Christ that same security that this ranch hand had. That we can be ready for the storm when it comes, and we can just sleep right on through it. That's the kind of faith that Jesus had. That's the kind of faith that we're called to have. I think it's interesting that Jesus prompts this. I'm sure he knew that there was going to be a storm, right? I mean, he's God. And I'm also sure he was probably ready to kind of pull away from people for a little bit. He'd been preaching all day long, giving wonderful sermons. So he said, let's go over to the other side. And they left behind the crowd, and they hopped in the boat, and they boogied. And they weren't the only boat out in this storm, but a furious squall came up. And when the waves broke over the boat, it was nearly swamped. I looked up the word here for, for swamped, because while in English, you know, we have different connotations behind different words and different translations use different things, I wanted to know what the original language was trying to say here for this, this idea of nearly swamped. And it's based on the Greek word for completely filling something. The boat was taken on a lot of water. And if you think about the fact that the disciples were really nervous, four of the disciples were fishermen. It was their job to be out on boats for most of the day. They knew what being in a boat in the storm was like. They were nervous for a good reason. Their boat was not looking so hot. This storm was overwhelming. I got a couple of pictures up here from our trip. We went down to help out people whose houses, whose lives were caught up in a storm. So if anybody from my team would like to come up and share something, I see that quite a few of you got your shirts on today. I did make the invite open. I had one person who had volunteered, or at least I thought they volunteered, but nobody's standing up. You coming up? All right. Um, I just first want to thank, thank everybody in the congregation. Um, the gentleman that said something about his knee, um, I, I have been through that knee surgery, and something that you said really hit me, and that is that everybody, everybody that prayed for him took part in his healing. Everybody that here prayed for us took part in what we did. Everybody who bought a spaghetti dinner, those women who prepared the spaghetti dinner, like, you're all a part of this. We're all a part of a larger part. And that's really what I got a sense of from this trip. Um, um, Louisiana, particularly Lake Charles, where we went, as many of you know, it's, <clears throat> if this is Louisiana, Saint Lake Charles is like right here, right next to Texas, right on the Gulf Coast. 
Um, they get hit a lot. Um, they'd been hit with Laura in August of uh, 2020. Um, and we were um, going down, you know, around the anniversary. We were there actually on the first anniversary. And they had also gotten hit by Delta. Um, those were two category four storms with sustained winds of 145 miles per hour approximately. I don't know if you know that, but Hurricane Laura killed 77 people. It was pretty powerful. And these people were um, trying to rebuild their lives. Night with Samaritan's Purse, um, think of it as like R&R. &R. There's relief and then there's rebuild. David and I have done relief before where we go in and, you know, the, the trees are still down and we have to, uh, um, you know, we're in with saws and whatever and we're doing heavy lifting and mold remediation and stuff like that. This was more of just um, rebuild where we were part of um, part of a larger part. I mean, teams had gone down from all over the country. This is how some, and Samaritan's Purse, as many of you know, are very organized. They know exactly what they're doing. They're awesome. It's a wonderful ministry. If you ever, if the Lord ever puts on your heart to give to relief organization, Samaritan's Purse is awesome. And they have teams going down from all over the country. Um, and it's the Lord's work. And he puts it on those people's hearts. The first time David and I ever did it, we did it for Katrina. The Lord put it on our hearts. And it was amazing. Um, so he, he put it on people's hearts to go down. And so we were part of a larger part. Other teams had gone down. There was people that had gone down and helped these people that, when their houses were devastated. And um, we talked to um, Curtis, who said that the one house that, that we were working on, um, that our, our group was working on, uh, Miss Cindy's house, we would not have recognized. I mean, when we were there, it was pretty much put together. We did the finishing touches. We did drywall. We did some painting, um, put in a floor. The guys put in a floor when I wasn't, we wasn't there that day. But we were doing finishing touches. And, you know, true to the Bartlett's, um, Ike was like, man, I thought we were going to, like, I was ready to, I was ready to rough it. I was ready to, like, be in a tent and, blah, 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 and you know, lift and build it. And, like, and we didn't do that. But what we did was, part of a larger part. It was just as important. Every piece is important. It's like, I know God gave me this image of a puzzle, like a thousand piece crossword puzzle. And you know, the little pieces start in the beginning where it's the heavy lifting, the, the relief part where people, you know, bring in the chainsaws and and then, and then it's clean enough, you know, where people have done the mold remediation and then people can start putting in drywall and people can, so it's, every, every piece is important. And the hope that you guys give, that we gave, as Greenfield Baptist Church, these people is really, really important. They were feeling deserted by the federal government, which was totally focused on COVID, which we can understand. And this place had been devastated many times. Um, people in Lake Charles were feeling kind of like just abandoned. So if there's anything that you can ever give to anybody that will keep them going, it's hope. And that's what we gave those people. Um, Cindy, we, we, there was, I should just back up. Um, there was two groups that were down there at the time. It was our group from Greenfield and a small group from Northern Virginia. They made that clear. <laughs> Young group from Northern Virginia. They were very, you know, very awesome. Um, and um, David and I went down. We love working together. This is a ministry that we love to do together. Um, 
But we also know that you have to be flexible on these things. You have to remain flexible. Whatever God tells you to do, do, and whatever they tell you to do. They might tell you one minute, we need you here, and then we need you there. So we, were, we got down there, and we were divided, and we were not in the same group. <laughs> so, um, but we said, oh, well, you know, that's how it goes. Well, um, the day, the last day we were there, the Northern Virginia group had left. So Curtis was left without anybody on his team, and... Um, another guy, Mike, down there, one of the leaders, said, Sharon and Dave, I want you guys to work together and help Curtis out. So we got to help Curtis out. And it was at the, the Boussard's house. And um, it was just really amazing because we got to hear Curtis, who had worked with this guy for a year from the time that Laura had happened until the end. Um, we got to be there when he said his last prayer with this guy. And it was pretty powerful. And the gratitude that this man had for every person, every part of that larger part that had come down and helped him up until David and I working on some closet doors, doing some painting, you know, um, that was a part of a larger part. And we got to hear this man's gratitude. And he was a contract, he had been a contractor, um, but he, uh, he had been injured, so... Um, but he said, um, with, about Curtis, the guy who was one of the Samaritan's Purse guys, he said, I was watching that guy when he came here. I was watching his work. And he was pretty darn good. And they, those Samaritans, they tried to put some other guy here. And I wouldn't have it. I wanted Curtis. And, uh, and when Curtis and him prayed together, Curtis had tears coming down his eyes. And he had been with this man for a year working on his house. And we got to put the finishing touches. And um, on Cindy's house, Cindy was a believer. She'd been in this house. She had grown up in this house. It was her family house. Her parents had passed. She was like 60s, maybe. And David and I got to work on her house the last day. Um, and we got to be there when Mike said to her uh, on a phone conversation, we were all in the room, and he said, Miss Cindy, your house is done. You can come home now. David and I had never been on that part of it before, and it was just awesome. So, um, and Brantley did a great job. I remember saying in the van about something that he, <laughs> something that he handled, and I said, Brantley, you have wisdom beyond your years, and he does. And then I said, all right, I'm going to stop now because we can't let your head get so big that it can't get out of the van. So, um, and he does sand trim very yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we really didn't rough it. I mean, Ike and Mike painted some trim out in the heat for a couple hours, and really that was about it. We had air conditioning. We were in a church that let us use their Sunday school um, rooms for beds, uh, for dormitories, and there's beds in there. I mean, this is the first time where we really didn't rough it, and Ike and... And Virgil were kind of feeling guilty. Man, like, <laughs> we came to work, you know. It's like, but we did work, and we were part of a larger part, and we got to be there when people got their houses back. So, thank you. And I just want to encourage anybody, uh, and it doesn't matter how much you think you know or how much you think you don't know or know how to do, there is a purpose for everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter you know, your physical abilities. It just doesn't matter. When it, every job that I've ever been on, there's always been a purpose, a very specific purpose. It's like if a flooring needs to be done, 
Chris shows up. Or, you know, some electricity shows up, but somebody that can do that shows up. It's just it, everything falls into place. So don't ever think you don't have something to offer, because you do, no matter what. And I just want to thank all of you as well, because it was an awesome time. Thank you. letting me uh, kind of caboose on to your trip and uh, getting to go. And I just wanted to tie something in to today's sermon. When we were on our way down, we were, what was it, like 35 miles away from the terrible flooding that killed 21? Oh, in Nashville? In, in Nashville. When we were in Nashville, we were only, I think it was 35 miles from where that terrible flooding came and killed 21 people on our way down. And then we got down there, and on our way home, the reason why the Northern Virginia left was because there was a hurricane coming in. And we even left earlier in the morning than we thought we would to try and outrun this on the way home. And God's provision. But while you're down there, the thing that I noticed the most driving around was blue tarps. No one had shingles. <laughs> I'd say what? 60% of the houses had blue tarps? It wouldn't surprise me if it was around there. Was yeah, fine, if, if your house was under a million dollars, it had a really good likelihood that you had blue tarps on your roof. And I got home, and then the flooding hit, that the, the rainstorm hit that, I, what was it, Ida, that, that flooded New York. And I slept through the storm that we got from that. And I woke up one time because lightning hit not too far away. And I went, I'm not running around doing buckets. We were, we were in, a, uh, in a church that was very large and very nice, but it still had leaking roofs. And one of the guys from Samaritan's Purse was running around trash canning and, and, and fanning and, and doing whatever he could to keep the, the flooding outside um, one day when it was raining hard. And just the gratitude that we lack in God's provision when we take for granted that we can sleep through our storms. We can wake up and go to church. Um, one of the, the my leader, uh, he was in a God moving him motion. And what he thought God was moving him to do was um, start a Christian like online sales. And he commissioned some book, bookmarks. And he commissioned them from China. And he wanted um, John 3.16. And she was having a hard time getting it where he wanted it. And she said, well, can I change the words? <laughs> and we live in a country where everyone knows you don't change the words. And then he said the other product that he wanted, he wanted a cross on it. And she said, I don't have access to that. Now, anyone who's ever started a computer has probably seen clip art. We could get probably 600, 800 different crosses in three to five minutes. And she's in a country where you can't. And we just take for granted what's going on. And we sleep through our storms and never thank God that we get to. And I just want to say thank you. And 
um, just show gratitude for getting to go, and that was all. Morning. So <clears throat> I, like Ike and Virgil, went going to work and really used some knowledge that we had. Um, and honestly, I, what I found out, it, it was not about the physical work at all. Um, what I found out is it was more about the time that we spent with these people finding out about who they were, what they've been through in life, sharing our stories with them, um, made more impact than us actually putting in floors or doing some electrical. Not that that didn't matter to them, because here we are every week rotating out a new set of people. It shows that as a, a, a body of Christ, we care and we'll come together to help people. Um, but really learning that it was not about our physical work. Um, and that was hard for me to understand that it was more about the, the time that we were spending with these people. Every day, we would clean up the job site at the end of the day, and we would go spend five minutes even with this lady and her son. There were alone her husband and his father had died, um, and so they were in it together. She was wheelchair-bound, and he pushed her and took her anywhere she needed to go or wanted to go. Um, and it was... It's really something to see that our, our actions is what shows Christ's love. It, it's sharing with these people that don't, have much of anything and we're still there and willing to help and put in and be a part of something greater. I was just making sure that nobody else was getting ready to stand up. Thank you guys for coming up and sharing. I know I know for some people that that's really difficult. I've I've heard that statistically speaking, there's quite a few people out there who are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. Um, so thank you guys for stepping up. Uh, I know that for my mom that's not difficult, but uh, I don't know how tricky it was for Chris or for Dave or Sharon, so thank you. Um, those were some powerful points, and I hope that at least one of those really struck a chord with, you know, each and every one of you. Because everybody's different, right? Everybody's in a different spot in life. So I hope that something you heard about the trip resonated with you. I think I kind of glossed over this last week, and, and Dave, uh, Dave made a joke about it, talking about sanding trim. I really am not a huge fan of sanding trim. Yeah, because of the guy my mom just pointed at, my dad. He's a great guy, wonderful man, love him very dearly. He is a Finnish carpenter, which means that trim is one of his specialties. Trim is something that he gets up early in the morning for. 
Maybe not because he's excited to do it, but it's his job. And our house has a lot of natural wood in it. We don't have any MDF. We have wood. And this wood, it's not painted trim. It is clear-coated. It's beautiful. But there was a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it. Around the doors, around the stairs. There's no carpeting in the house. So the stairs are natural wood. The railing, the trim, all of it, beautiful. I had to sand a lot of it, though. And that, that was less beautiful for me personally, including the floor. The entire upstairs is a hardwood floor, and it didn't come completely finished. It was like wood. And so it had to be sanded multiple times and sprayed with air guns and sanded again, sanded some more. So by the time we were done building our house, I was pretty tired of sanding. And I'd helped him on a couple of jobs before, too, as a kid. You know, on a Saturday morning, I didn't have anything better to do, and Mom wanted to get me out of the garage, and Dad had a big job the next week, so I'd go and I'd help him, like, sand window frames. Because what else is a 12-year-old kid going to do on a Saturday morning, right? So I would help him out with those things. And it's good. It's good that I learned those things. It's good that I got that discipline and that experience. But it was not something I would say was fun. And so when we get to this house, and I hear that we're going to be painting and sanding trim, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> At least it was something I had practice doing, right? And so it was kind of humbling, but in a good way. It was good to come in and do something that, yeah, I knew how to do it, but I also knew that it was not something that thrilled me. It was not something exciting. Like Ike and Virgil were, as it was talked about with those guys, they were, they were hoping that we were going to come in and, like, lay block and set studs and, you know, like, the grunt work. Now, I had a feeling that was not going to be the case. Uh, I've worked with Samaritan's Purse before um, on the tear-out side of things, and it was, you know stripping off drywall, um, yanking out carpeting from flood damage and stuff like that. So I figured that if we were doing rebuild, we were probably doing things like putting down new carpeting uh, and repairing and patching drywall and putting up trim and things like that. So I had a feeling that that's what I was going to get into. But I didn't realize that I was going to spend hours on end in a room by myself sanding and painting trim. Yeah, days, yeah. Yeah, it was a couple of days in a row. And it was white, too, so it just, like, the wood just sucked it up, and it was multiple coats, and, of course, uh, you don't want the wood grain to pop or the, sand to, or the paint to get clumpy, so you've got to sometimes sand between coats, too, and so it was just sanding and sanding and sanding. Not my favorite thing to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank him. But at the end of the day, isn't that what service is about? It's not about what I wanted to do. 
not about me. It's about going out and meeting those people's needs. And while I personally, through my own experience and, and being raised by my father, would never paint trim, I wouldn't. No, I would, I would keep it natural wood. I'd have a clear urethane on it. Let it be shiny. I might have been. That's true. Yeah, especially sanding off. Oh, my gosh. One of the trims had clearly been painted and repainted multiple times before. So it had like four or five different colors on it. There was red and green and yellow. And then the white I was putting over top of it. Yeah. Oh, and blue. There was blue, too. Yeah. But anyway, all of this is to say it's not about us, right? It's about serving others. And it's about who we serve, who we do it in the name of. I had a good conversation with our site leader about that because having been taught by that guy back there who's paid to do very fine and pristine work, I was nervous. I wanted to make sure that everything was just perfect. In fact, I almost kind of got into trouble with that. There was one door where I could see some of the brush strokes from the painting. So I took some sandpaper to it to try and knock off some of the brush strokes. I wasn't sanding real hard, but the paint started to peel. And I was like, well, I can't have one of those layers where you get like a, you can tell that the paint had chipped off and you didn't bother to do anything about it. So I started peeling. Well, it was latex-based paint, and the whole door, like, like a deflated balloon almost. It was just this stretch, and it was just peeling and peeling and peeling. Come to find out, the door had some kind of finish on it, and the finish hadn't been removed, and if primer had been applied, there wasn't enough of it there. So the paint had stuck to the finish coat on the door and wasn't really properly seated there. And so the backside of the paint was brown with the finish from the door, and the door was a different shade than it was before. So I ended up taking off the paint on the entire side of the door and having to repaint that whole door. And the guy was like, I, I get what you're doing, and I understand that you want it to be nice. But there's a couple of things. One, the homeowner, the guy who we'd been there to serve, had been the one to paint that door. He painted it this weekend. I get that you want to make it look nice for him. I understand that that's what you're trying to do. But that could have, that could have kind of hurt his feelings and stepped on his toes. And I know that you didn't do it on purpose. But the other thing is we're here to serve these people. And sometimes if we get caught up in trying to make it too perfect, you can kind of lose focus on what we're really here to do. And that kind of challenged me, right? Because on the one hand, yeah, we're supposed to do everything like we're doing it for the Lord. And I was thinking to myself, if I was painting something for God, I wouldn't want brush strokes in it. But on the other hand, when Mary and Martha were in the house and Jesus was over, 
One of them was focused on cleaning up the pots and the pans and the sink because guests were over. And the other one was sitting down talking with the guest. Guess what Jesus said was more important? Not sanding out the brush strokes. So there's a balance there. That's hard. We talked about the work. I do also want to mention we got to see some alligators. Sharon, you named them what? Frank and Irma? Frank and Irma. Oh, Fred. Fred and Irma. Yeah, there are two alligators. We went on like a 45-minute journey out into the middle of nowhere to where the GPS said there were gators. Um, on, the, on the good word of our site leader. Um, and we got there after nightfall, so it was dark. And it was this little one-way road out in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, so we didn't see that many alligators, but we did see a couple. And it was fun. We got to do some good experiences, have a good time building relationships with each other as well. So I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't ever been on a mission trip, think about it, pray about it. I'm sure there will be one coming up relatively soon. I'm not going to disclose any when. I'm not going to disclose anywhere because I don't have any. But Dan and I have been talking, and there's going to be one in the wings. So getting back to this storm, we talked about how we went down to help people who were caught in a storm, right? The disciples were worried they were going to drown. They thought Jesus didn't even care. He said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm going to point out three things. I'm going to be super quick because it's already 940 somehow. First, they addressed him as teacher. They didn't address him as Lord. They didn't address him as master. They addressed him as teacher. Make sure you remember your perspective. They were so worried and Jesus' response was, don't you have any faith? They were still building that faith. They viewed him as a teacher, not as a lord or master at this point in this story. The next thing was, don't you care? Jesus was just taking a nap. They felt like he didn't even care if they drowned. And the last one, if we drown, I mentioned this earlier, but four of those disciples were fishermen. They were on boats all the time. They knew a thing or three about sailing. If somebody was going to be able to keep a ship from sinking, it would probably be four well-seasoned fishermen who were the son of fishermen, who were probably the son of fishermen, who were probably the son of fishermen. Because that's how trades were passed down. It was in their blood. But they were worried that this ship was going to go down. This was a serious storm. They were nervous. But Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind calmed down and it was calm. It was... Pshht. I think that that's super cool. When I go looking for things like keys, ha, 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 uh, I will often... I will often whistle for them. 
I'll be like, here keys, here keys, like it's a dog or something. The keys don't come, but it makes me feel better about looking for them. Jesus, when he talked to the wind and the waves, like a good dog, it listened. I made this meme yesterday because I thought it was fun. I thought it fit in well. The disciples, they were all nervous, but Jesus was there, and he just silenced the wind and the waves, just like that. No problems. In fact, the word it says, when he, said it, when he told the waves to hush, the same word or a similar word is used for the phrase mute, for somebody who can't speak. When Jesus silenced the waves, they couldn't have rebelled even if they wanted to. They were muted. Like when you hit the button on the TV and then people just... I didn't say anything. That was the point. I just moved my lips. I hope it looked like I was saying something. They couldn't have rebelled even if they wanted to. And when he said, be still, that is derived from the word for muzzle. And you can't muzzle something you don't have control of. Jesus was in control the whole time. You can't put a muzzle on a wild animal, right? Unless it's sedated, it's not going to happen. Heck, on a good day, I can't get a gentle leader on my dog. She hates that thing. I don't know if you've ever seen one. It looks kind of like a muzzle, but it's not a muzzle. It's just so that they can't pull. If they start to pull with their head, it like redirects their head down like this, and then they can't pull. It's just a funky little mechanism that goes around their snout and attaches to like a collar. It's pretty neat, and it's very gentle. It, it's not like a muzzle or a prong collar, but it, it has a similar end in that they can't pull. I have a good dog. She's pretty, she's pretty sweet, but she hates that thing. She hates it. So it's hard enough to get a muzzle on a domesticated animal, let alone a wild one. When Jesus said, be still, the sea was muzzled. The sea was under his control. It was silenced completely. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They then asked the pivotal question. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The real question at the end of the day is who is Jesus to you? And where is your faith? Can you sleep through the storms in life, resting in Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the way that you bring us together in your name, the way that you protect us, from the storms of life. We thank you for the blessings we have in our region. God, I thank you that a crew of us was able to go down to Louisiana and serve those who've been a victim of a, of a severe storm, Lord. But 
I also thank you that that's not something we have in our region. I thank you that you've protected us from that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with the people of Lake Charles, Louisiana. But I also pray that you continue to be with us. Lord, while we might not have hurricanes that come through, there are storms in life. And I pray that if there's anyone who doesn't know you, who doesn't know the one who can calm the wind and the waves, that they would look to you not as teacher, but that they would seek you as Lord in the storms of life. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.